This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 538 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back on the show, Dr. Eric Goodman. Now, Eric is the creator of Foundation Training, which you may recognize from a chapter in my book where I talked about a back injury that almost ended my career, and Foundation Training was one of the elements that helped me not only heal, but actually become stronger than ever before. So we discuss a host of topics from the holistic eye of this last year and a half, the cannabinoid system, cannabis, movement practice, and so much more. Before we get to this very important conversation, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Dr. Eric Goodman. Enjoy. So Eric, we are sitting here on a beautiful dock facing the river by Melbourne Beach. We just did a workout on the beach, foundation training and swimming. 
So, um, firstly, thank you for that. But if you uh, if you want to kind of tell people, you know, what brought you to this area first? Sure. Uh, it's nice to be doing this with you. That was a nice little movement session. Felt good. It was good to catch up and everything. Uh, we're in Melbourne Beach, Florida, because, you know, I, I grew up in Florida. My wife grew up in Florida. Um, we've been in Kauai for the past <clears throat> pretty much the entire pandemic. We really scored and went out there and just had a great time. But uh, I'm here teaching a certification course in St. Augustine next month. But we love Florida. It's always been on our radar. Um, both of us being my wife and I both being native Floridians, we, uh, you know, we're, it's always on our radar. And then we come back here and it's just like the most beautiful place. I mean, granted, we're on the beach and we're definitely in one of the nicer sections. But uh, I don't know, it's like being here. It's good. To, it's good to have work here. It's good to bring the certification course here. But it's best to just kind of come here and be nostalgic about this zone and go surfing and just enjoy Florida. This place is a lot of fun. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, this is the first interview that I've done right by the water where we've got dolphins and pelicans all around us. So this definitely goes down as the most beautiful in-person <laughs> interview spot to date. Nice. Um, but you mentioned the pandemic. So I want to just open with that. Um, we recorded, what was it, probably a year and a half ago now, right at the beginning of this. I wanted to put some good content out there, actionable stuff for people so they could own their own health while we navigated this issue uh, i wish i'd seen an embracing of underlying health by the governing bodies of the world or some of the governing bodies but aside from that um what has been your perspective what have you seen um of this year and a half and then i kind of want to visit foundation training again so that we can give people you know a fresh kind of perspective of the tools available for them for their own health it was really hard to watch a lot of uh my friends and colleagues get really ransacked by the public for, for speaking about health. Not, not for claiming anything, not even for telling people to or not to do something. Literally for like, for saying get exercise, for saying if you're gonna get vaccinated, take care of yourself, for saying if you're not gonna get vaccinated, take care of yourself. Um, it was a really interesting moment in time, this pandemic, and everybody talks about it ad nauseum. And, and I want to be really clear. I don't really have a stance on anything other than taking care of yourself. And I don't think there's ever been a more important time in our lives to take care of yourselves and to, to take care of ourselves. So, you know, my goal during all of this was to put out information that I know which is posture, breathing, pain management. Um, I found myself extremely uh, nervous to go anywhere outside of my knowledge base because I just saw people getting destroyed. Whether they were pro or anti-vax, there would be this 50% contingency that hated them and was so emotional about it. It's kind of embarrassing as a human being, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I watched it and I was like, come on, we can do better than this which is in and of itself another need to take care of yourself so you can make better decisions and, and, and have a little bit of a, a strong pattern that you can follow of you know, seeing the sun, breathing with focus, eating with focus, eating well, understanding why you should eat well and how you can become a lesser version of yourself if you're not fueling yourself accurately. 
understanding that if you're going to take a vaccination, it is not an excuse to not take care of yourself. And if you're not going to take a vaccination, it is a perfect opportunity to take better care of yourself. And I don't know why that conversation was never had. And I and I've talked to a lot, a lot, a lot of doctors and a lot of people. And when I say doctors, I mean everything from a doctor like me, who's a chiropractor that works in pain management to my MD friends that work in emergency rooms and my MD friends that are legitimate biologists and work in kind of this this like incubator of what the hell is happening in this virus to people. And they're scared and they, like a lot of the public, are reacting to that fear by retreating. And the retreat looks like isolate yourself, stay home. Everybody's scary. The world is scary. Life is scary. Protect yourself, except don't actually protect yourself because really protecting yourself would be taking your vitamins and doing the things that are good for you. But protect yourself from the scary people around you and the scary things around you. And that's a that's a mindset that I don't know. I I guess it's very animalistic because if you think of how most animals actually act in nature, they really do protect themselves from everything. And they do operate with a certain degree of, of fear that protects them from the world around them. So maybe, you know, maybe maybe the act of taking care of yourself in a situation like this somehow becomes oddly unnatural and fear is this natural mechanistic reaction. But as an analytical animal, which human beings have the ability to analyze the situation and make a logical decision based on what they gather, fear doesn't seem to be helping anybody. And those who are taking a proactive approach to their own well-being are seemingly doing okay. Um, so I think in this scenario, fear might need to kind of take a backseat to action. And action is just taking the, the basic, modest, well-being care of yourself that you can, meditating a little bit, breathing well a little bit, eating well as often as you can. If, if you're not feeling well, take care of yourself. Don't just load up on a bunch of things that make you not feel that you're not feeling well. You know, don't take a bunch of painkillers. Don't take a bunch of mucinex. Don't take a bunch of, of all these things. Like feel what you're feeling and let it pass through your system. Um, I think we've done a really nice job of blocking symptoms to various degrees in this society. And as a result, when we feel anything, it scares us. Um, and if we've learned anything in the coronavirus pandemic, it's that fear will make you worse. And if you get a bug and you think you're going to get really, 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 really taken out by it, well, those nocebic thoughts, those those opposite of placebo, those nocebic negative mental ruminations can potentially create an additional hazard. Well, and I think that's such an important point. And it's something that I kind of thought about framing this whole thing about six months ago. If the message has been, I want you to assume that you are going to get the virus by the governments, by the, you know, the, the leaders, quote unquote, whilst obviously taking isolation precautions and, you know, based on the vulnerability of the individual, you know, they may be very, very severe isolation or not, but it would be actionable. In the last year and a half, we would have focused on the quality of our food. Maybe it would be a time to reassess what we're serving our children in our schools, um, not just our you know, young children, even in universities, you know, that we'd look at supporting local farms and getting chemicals off our food, that we would have promoted being outside. You know, it's very hard to get close to a human being outside. Um, 
you know, understanding mm-hmm. exposure to daylight, understanding movement, understanding, you know, using yoga practices and foundation training to maybe address some of the injuries, you would have bolstered the human being because there's no controlling whether we're going to get the virus or not. There really isn't. I've got friends that live out in BFE that got it, you know. Um, but you would have had a year and a half healthier country by now. Yeah. Instead, what I saw, and I'd love your feeling, your feedback on this, is that everything that was healthy was shut down. Stay in your house. Don't go outside. Get your fast food delivered to you. Sorry, the gyms are closed. And as you said, now you have fear put into it as well. You took someone that maybe was 70% vulnerable. Now you just made them 90% vulnerable to this disease. Yeah, I, I really I really believe in the power of thinking um, to a degree. I'm not a community builder or a politician or a mayor or a governor or a, I mean, man, I can barely run foundation training. But I do believe that there was this really impactful moment. I don't remember what the exact moment was, but it was like a, a month or so where the pandemic went from everything's pretty scary. There's this thing might be happening. This thing might be happening to it just like got fast forwarded to we're all going to die type thinking. And it was very media driven and it was very um, divisive and, you know, you'd hear the term snowflake thrown around and then you'd hear the op- whatever the opposite is. I don't know. Ice chip. I don't know what it is. But like you're uh, hail. Yeah. <laughs> whatever the opposite. You, It just became again. I The best way I could put it, I was I was really embarrassed to be a human being during this pandemic on both sides of the fence, man. Uh, not not. On the pro vaccination side, not on the anti vaccination side, but on the. Be scared, protect yourself. We're not going to put any logic into the decisions we make. We're going to put emotion into the decisions we make and we're going to listen to the wrong people and we're going to close down certain things and keep certain things open. And if you really think about it, it doesn't make any fucking sense because you can go to a giant store, but you can't go to a small cafe outside. Nah, it doesn't make any sense, man. I'm sorry. It just doesn't make any sense. There's no logic there. There's no rationale. But people need that. But you know what? People don't really need that much. They need a little bit of electricity. They need a little bit of water. They need a little bit of food. They need a little bit of activity. And what they don't need is soda. What they don't need is fast food. What they don't need is cookies from 7-Eleven. What they don't need is the crap you can buy in those big stores. That's what you don't need. That doesn't make most people healthy unless you're lucky enough to basically shop the perimeter of the store, get yourself some produce, maybe some meats. Um, so the, the thought process behind this pandemic was let's push all health logic outside and let's consume our brains and our bodies with fear, with not hope. There's, there was no hope being spread with divisiveness with a lot of hateful tales of how miserable the other side is and how terrible the other side is. And they basically made an ongoing political discussion become the health discussion. And they polarized health in a way that the only time I've ever seen polarization like that before is in politics. And now we have somehow a left and a right side of healthcare. 
And the crazy thing is neither of them makes any sense, man, because you need both sides. It's a holistic process. The body is a whole thing. Even if you get an attenuated vaccine or an mRNA, whatever it is, a, a spike protein, who cares? What does it? And by the way, the reason everybody loves saunas so much is because it gives you a heat shock protein. It is a very similar genesis of an inflammatory response breaking down to become a very positive response in the body. So just so anybody who thinks that this chiropractor out here is being all anti-vax, I'm not in any way, shape or form. I'm pro-health 100% and I'm pro-knowledge and I'm pro-logic and the way that we have handled health during the pandemic is embarrassing and it needs to be addressed on a truly national level. There needs to be an organization in the White House that is public health. And I know we have a public health group. I know that there's all kinds of public health out there. But what they're discussing as public health right now is public preservation, public protection. That's very different than public health. We need people talking about what the sun does for us, what hydration does for us, what heat does for us, what sweating a little bit every day does for us, what the right type of nutrition does for us, what the right type of relationships and socioeconomic decisions can do for us as an overall organism getting through this this life. And we really don't have that kind of education out there. You can get it on YouTube. You can get it on TV. But there's not like a sponsor. And I think Michelle Obama was attempting to go that route with some of the health stuff that she was doing. But it, again, it was so fucking divisive. You know, nobody listens to the, the lead politician. You need somebody that's not polarized in there that is just discussing health. And that there is like a, a free public access website that discusses all these things. And it's not funded by pharmaceutical companies and it's not funded by supplement companies. It's not funded by anything. It's funded by earth growing food and the benefits you can get from that. Um, and I know there's a lot of people that would very gladly do that role in a nonpartisan way, you know, and, and that's what we're lacking, man. We don't have anybody making decisions for our health. We have decisions for public health and for for preservation, and that's a very fear and anxious-driven decision-making process. Yeah. Hopefully, this isn't too much of a ramble. I know this isn't 100% my field, but I'm, you know, I've been thinking about this. No, and but it's very like frustrating. I said, uh, yeah, and we we sat down bef when this fir first happened, you know, and we're saying exactly the same things a year or so later. But when you speak of fear, I, I have that vision in my mind. Um, you know, I. I'm sure it was probably CNN or some of those um, agencies in this particular, uh, you know, instance that I'm talking about. I'm sure it was probably Fox as well. But you would have the kind of deathometer in the top corner of the news. And the thing is, have you ever seen an obesity deathometer? Of course not. No. So even though, and as you said, I agree completely. When I started talking about underlying causes and COVID outcomes, even though every person I had on was like, yeah, that's like you know, 90 whatever percent of the fatalities that we're getting, it was heresy. How dare you talk about it? This is a virus. You in, you're insensitive. You know, it's not about that my cousin was 400 pounds. It's because they died of COVID. And it's just so irresponsible. So if we really want to, you know, do pub what's killing our people, let's have a deathometer for obesity-related related death. And I guarantee you those numbers will far, far surpass the ones of COVID. But they're not going to stop. That's the difference. COVID, we got, you know, one wave and we're in the second wave now. Florida's going to come out of that, from what I understand. But the obesity one never stops. Let's have another one. Let's have a suicide one in the other corner. Let's have an yeah. overdose, overdose one in the bottom corner. You know, Let's talk about America being, what, 85 to 88% of opiate use in the entire world. Mm. 
is in America, is in North America, is in the United States of America. Just this one, just yep. this goofball country. Which makes, I think, 4% of the world's population. So we have extraordinary medical knowledge in this country. And every ounce of that medical knowledge knows that suppressing the respiratory system happens very fast with opiates in, in slightly too high of dosages. Um, yeah, we keep concentrating it, keep concentrating it, keep concentrating it. And we keep going with these like exponentially stronger uh, opiate chemistries that that our bodies cannot contend with. And this is an air arena that I have done a tremendous amount of work in. Um, and this is a big part of the work that I'm putting out into the world now is an alternative of pain relief that that is legitimately sustainable for multiple, multiple, multiple decades, if not generations, that you keep doing it and it keeps improving you, not improving you, but sustaining you. Um, you're not really, <laughs> never mind, a little tangent, that whole 1% improvement every day, it gets to a point where you, you're improving too much. You have to, <laughs> <laughs> you have to improve 3,000%. It needs to be like 0. 0.00001% improvement every day. And then you got like a good lifetime of it, I think. Yeah. You know, there, there comes a point though where diminishing returns will, will come in. Uh, but with opiates, in the same country that that is just, oh my God, if you listen to some of these health professionals about this virus and about vaccinations, my God, are they smart. Oh, they're the smartest people in the room, man. And they know it. And they make sure you know it, too. And boy, if you say something against them, they're going to make you feel pretty dumb. But those are the same people that are pushing opiate chemistry. Those are the same people that are pushing you to get a flu shot. Those are the same people that are pushing you to get things that are notoriously not that great for you. And they're not promoting health. They're promoting fear. They're promoting. Well, they're just promoting. You know, they're promoting a thing instead of health, which is an action, a process. And if there's anything I've learned and my career is not that long, I've, I've been actively working with patients for about 13 years now, since 2008. And in that time, I have simply never met a pain person who was in pain because they didn't have enough opiate chemistry in their system, or they were in pain because they just didn't have enough non-steroidal anti-inflammatories in their system, or they were just, oh my God, man, this knee is really acting up because I just haven't got my fix of fentanyl. And if I get it, it's going to be okay. Those drugs are for childbirth, man. Those drugs are for like, my body is tearing apart. It's, I, it's an unimaginable sensation. Please, for the love of God, make it stop for a few moments. That's what that chemistry is for. It's not, you know, I'm on the job and man, every time I put my heel down, oh, ooh, ooh that really hurts. You know, I, I, I got a limp. That's not what that stuff's for. That's not, that's not what Oxycontin's for. It's for the first three days after a hip replacement surgery, not the next six months. And that education is not out there. The people that die and overdose from these drugs are PhDs, MDs, DCs, graduate school, college educated, high school educated, pillars in their communities, firefighters. A lot of them are firefighters and cops. Three in my area alone. And these are people that listened to their doctor, the smart one, mind you. Not the dumb one like me, not the chiropractor. We're idiots. I get that. But the smart one that knows everything and knows exactly what that person should do. And the right thing to do is take that damn pill until you can't take it anymore, until you don't hurt anymore. But that has nothing to do with pain management. 
Nothing. Nothing. Pain management is chemical, very much, but it is not a lack of opiate chemistry. It is typically the need to insulate nerves a little bit better, slow down synapses a little bit more, calm down dopamine a little bit, lift up serotonin a little bit. These are endogenous hormones within us. These are not things we take in. You can take in building blocks for them, but for the most part, everybody has enough and you just have to secrete them. There's an idea in pain management that nociception is blocked by mechanoreception. And that's a fancy way of saying that pain is blocked by movement. We have all these built-in systems that help us thrive. And none of them, none of those systems thrives when you are taking a pill to block a process that needs to happen in order for inflammation to work through, in order for healing to happen. And sometimes just that feeling that you have is there so that your body knows not to do something. When you block it, well, you start doing it again. You shouldn't do that. Um, I kind of feel the same way about viruses. I kind of feel the same way about health information in general. Like if you would just give a little bit more knowledge to the user, you're going to get a lot better use of the body out of it. Is that a fix for virology? No, in no way, shape or form. And viruses are very scary. But a healthier body is a healthier body. Plain and simple. Absolutely. Well, it reminds me of um, fevers. You know, when people get a fever, oh, you got to take Tylenol, you got to take Advil. And, you know, the body is heating up for a reason to kill the thing that is plaguing it. So I get, you know, an acute fever. Yeah, you maybe want to get it down if your kids are, you know, 104 and burning up. But you can also do that with taking, you know, stripping down to underwear and putting a fan on them and, you know, cooling them that way too. But yeah, this this masking the the nucleus of, of the disease process or the injury. And that's that's how we came together. Like it was my back injury that brought us together. And I wrote about it in the book for a reason, a whole chapter in the book, because it worked. And I had zero meds and zero surgery. Thank you very much for that, by the way. No, but it was it needed to be said. And this is why we're talking now. And, you know, with a year and a half in, I'm, I wanted to revisit this because I wanted to, to, to put the proactive, preventative areas of wellness back on the radar because you know we are tapering off now you know i know the the news agencies and the politicians are hating it but the cases are getting better and better and better um and you know i've had people on here like friends that have been you know physicians in icus and ers at the height of their spike and it was awful and they i was watching it destroy them you know but so it's a real thing it's definitely you know affecting the vulnerable incredibly and maybe some anomalies thrown in there too, but ultimately they were vulnerable. We just didn't know they were vulnerable. But so you touched on, on uh, you know, pain management. I know an area that you've delved into a lot more recently is the cannabinoid system. I think we touched on it maybe the last time. CBD is something that I still take all the time to to bolster that, but as as well as meditation and foundation training and exercise to increase my own internal cannabinoid system. So. If you're okay, I would love to kind of revisit, kind of educate sure. people listening and then maybe add some some further things that you found this last year or so. Sure. Uh, well, first, we had a, a really brief discussion earlier just talking about cannabis in general, about how it's just not for everybody. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. So I want to be clear before I go any further into kind of the rationalization and all of that, that 
while I am personally a fan of cannabis, I understand that it does not work in everybody's body chemistry and it is not necessarily the best way to stimulate the endogenous cannabinoid system, even though they are the same name. So the endogenous system, the ECS, endogenous endogenous cannabinoid system. So a lot of people get stuck with it being the cannabinoid system, but it's cannabis. It's not cannabis. So cannabinoid system is cannabinoid system. It's a really small thing, but I've started hearing it more and more and more. Anyways, as you start to understand the ECS, you start to kind of inadvertently understand the body's homeostasis system. They're one and the same. Homeostasis is a term that is kind of hard to define. It's just the way the body sort of falls back to its baseline and keeps everything from the pH of the blood to respiration rate to digestion rate to detoxification through the lymphatic system and the liver and the the pancreas and all different sorts of things and the kidneys. Uh, It's just it's just the way the body maintains a certain function is, is this idea, this thing called homeostasis. And what homeostasis has been so again, this is not my theory. This is like what science tells. This is like what journals and things like that are very clear on at this point is that the endogenous cannabinoid system actually goes through and sort of creates this reverse engineering of hormonally what is happening in the body. So we have people have heard of neurotransmitters and typically the ones that people know about are dopamine, serotonin, acetylcholine, um, you know, things like that. Uh Each neurotransmitter in the body goes from the presynaptic moment to the postsynaptic moment. And during that jump, so a synapse is literally like jumping off of a cliff. There is a void. Material crosses that void and is then absorbed at the other end of that void by the postsynaptic zone. And it's literally like a transfer. A synaptic jump is a transfer of this neural information, whatever it is. There is one neurotransmitter in the body, which I think it's two. Yeah, there's two neurotransmitters in the body. They both happen to be endogenous cannabinoids. One is um, anandamide, which is the pleasure, kind of it's known as this pleasure hormone in the body. It helps us feel well. And the other one is, we'll just abbreviate it to 2-AG, 2-arachidinoylglycerol, 2-AG. Each of these is a breakdown byproduct of inflammatory fatty acids, mind you, the ones you're not supposed to eat, but they're still very good for you. The omega-6 and omega-9 fatty acids ultimately break down into anandamide and 2-arachidinoglycerol. When you have these neurotransmitters in your brain, they go the other way. Every neurotransmitter in the body goes from presynapse to postsynapse. Anandamide, 2-AG, nope, they go postsynapse to presynapse. And they tell the rest of your body what just happened hormonally. And they help the next iteration, just like an antibody notices a virus, it helps that next moment be recognized and subtly more efficient in its next hormonal production. So it's biofeedback. In a sense, it's biofeedback, exactly. But it's at a multi-intra-systemic level. So you have endogenous cannabinoid receptors CB1 and CB2 receptor sites everywhere in every tissue type in the body. This stuff was first found in the 60s and then the actual uh, endogenous system kind of started to be mapped and understood a little bit better in the 90s and both of these things happened by the same team in Israel. 
and then it became much, much larger. In fact, the reason that it's called the endogenous cannabinoid system is because they found it by studying the effects of cannabis on the body. So it was just like everything that seems to happen with cannabis. It was this reverse engineering that led them to understanding what was happening. So the way that homeostasis occurs is like a, it's like an itemized ledger. Check it off, check it off, check it off, check it off. Wait, what's happening there? Why can't I put a check mark there? What's happening in that system? How can we improve that system? How can we improve the secretion? Or what's that system need? Does it need inflammation? Does it need to secrete less inflammation? Does it need more oxygen? Is there a hydration issue? Is there a barometric? Like, we have these barometric pressures in our body. We have so many things happening, and it's really hard to articulate. I'm decent at articulating, and I guarantee you I'm confusing 95% of the people listening <laughs> right now. And I spend a lifetime trying to articulate this stuff, and it's hard. But the easiest way to put it is when these endogenous cannabinoids are at play in your body, which is always, they are helping your body find homeostasis head to toe in the brain, in the guts, at the superficial skin level, in the joints, in the muscles, everywhere. You do not want to be in a situation where you are lacking the building blocks for endogenous cannabinoids. And if you do, you can see a lot of those effects in children with epilepsy. You can see a lot of those effects in Alzheimer's. You can see a lot of those effects in multiple sclerosis, in Parkinson's, and a lot of breakdowns and autoimmune disorders in the body where cannabis actually happens to be I was gonna say, pretty much. Yeah, childhood seizures, for example. If you're not taking the herb and you have these autoimmune conditions, you need to start taking the herb because what they're gonna take you, what they're gonna have you take is much worse for you and substantially less effective in those neurological conditions. Um, and cannabis works best with the endocrine system. I want to be clear on that. The endocrine system is the nervous system in a sense. It's like the, the, it's, it's the secretions. It's, it's the hormones. It's the, it's the building blocks of what we are without being the structure of what we are. The very system that's destroyed work and shift work as a first responder. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the endocrine system that kind of is the regulatory overall regulatory dispatch of our body in a lot of ways and in cannabis has been shown to be extremely helpful in certain cancers and completely useless in other ones the ones that it's helpful in things like pancreatic cancer that are endocrine based cancers um, it's really hard to help somebody understand one thing that it's good for but the ability to have a supplement like CBD, especially the full spectrum CBDs that are, I believe, still THC free, but have others like THCA, which is a non-carboxylated, non-psychoactive version of THC still in there. They have CBG, CBN, these different compounding terpenes, these things that are allowing that tincture to be received by more sites and sensors within the body, more receptor sites within the, can the endogenous cannabinoid system in the body, which again is in every single tissue type in the body. So there's various types of receptors that, that get in there. You don't want, you don't want to just take a little bit of this, this CBD isolate that has gone through 10 different chemical reactions to get where it is. It's been dehydrated 12 different times and it's this white powder. 
that's not CBD, guys. I'm sorry. The closest you can get to still being natural and and knowing what you're getting is one of these oil-based tinctures that has no other ingredients in it other than hemp oil and uh, the CBD particulates. Um, and then if you look, I, I really deeply <laughs> hope that first responder communities will start to see the value in in not just CBD, but in cannabis and in especially microdosing it, which is minimally, if psychoactive at all completely unnoticeable and remarkable for sleep, for stress, for PTSI, which, you know, everybody says PTSD, but a friend of mine uh, helped me understand the reality of it being a a brain injury, like a bruise instead of a disorder. So I really, I really am starting to use the PTSI moniker a little bit more. And, and I really respect that idea. Uh, the people that I know that have had hell happen to them, they're injured. They're not disordered well, the brain is completely yeah. damaged by that point so yeah i mean yeah. i think an injury versus a disorder whether it's an actual physical one like tbi that causes a lot of the mental health issues or whether it's you know the breakdown from sleep deprivation and and the trauma you know again it is an injury the, the the wiring is so miswired and so broken that a lot of these people truly believe that they're a burden and then they take their own lives so if that's not an injury i don't know what is so i mean disorder injury whatever the brain and is you broken have you have these tools right in front of you that are showing not only promise, but have so many people talking about them and and vying for them through anecdotal evidence, which is one of the very few things that you can get with cannabinoids right now is anecdotal evidence because it is so damn hard to study the stuff and has been restricted for years upon years upon years upon years. But that fog is lifting, um, you know, it is. And people are starting to wake up to a what most people take for pain management, for mental health disorders, and for mood management is really bad for you. And you shouldn't take stuff that's really bad for you to try to make yourself better. Uh, whereas the various cannabinoids from the, the non-psychoactive, very innocent CBDs to the full spectrum THCs to the knock your head out of the park concentrates they show more promise for well-being in people than anything out there that exists right now. And I'm, I'm actually very comfortable saying that. They show more promise for our species to get a little bit better, to feel a little bit better. And the worst thing that I ever really hear about cannabis or CBD is, I, yeah, it's just not for me. That's it. Cool. Then don't take it. That's fine. No worries. That's okay. But if you're the person that's on a bunch of pain pills and you're like fearing your next surgery, you might want to get a little bit more sensitive to what's happening inside your system. And that's one of the beautiful things that THC helps us do is it helps us feel what's happening internally more. Most people make a very fast mistake of having way too much, way too much. You don't need 30, 40, 50 milligrams of THC. And if you take a toke off of a joint, you're getting at least 15 to 20 in one toke, at least 15 to 20 milligrams. That's a strong edible. So think about that. Very small dosage is key. And just like in a lot of the, uh, the, the, um, the nootropic stuff, that's the microdosing that really shows the best value. It's not being stoned. It's, it's having a little bit in your system and letting that little bit in your system work on your system. Uh, that is where I think the true value in THC is. For CBD, I think it's quite the opposite. I think you need substantially more than most people are taking. Right now, there's a, a cost barrier 
that is going to change. And that cost barrier is not because it's expensive to grow pot or hemp. It's because the industry has been in the black market for so long that it's an extremely expensive industry still. And it needs to shift. And you need to there, there needs to come like a, a more sustainable ratio of what it costs to cultivate a lot of hemp. So that CBD costs can go down because if you really want the benefits of CBD for everything from epilepsy across the board to Alzheimer's across the board to PTSI across the board to major pain, major pain management, major pain management, you're going to need a minimum of like 100 to 200 milligrams a day minimum. And most of the tinctures you're getting these days are 500 to 1500 milligrams. You need to start seeing tinctures that are sold like Dr. Bronner's soap, where it's a big bottle of this oil and it's a concentrate that's at least, you know, 10 to 20 grams in one of those bottles so that you have this thing that'll last you for a few months. And you can actually take a very truly reasonable and, and, and clinically significant amount of the CBD to fix what you need. Well, a couple of things. Firstly, I had um, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein on, who's a physician in California who uses cannabis to treat patients. And one thing she said was, and I didn't realize this, if you just blend the ca cannabis plant and don't, you know, don't um, you know, dry it out and do don't the things. Don't heat it. Yeah, yeah. Don't heat it or cure it. Yeah. Then you actually can get all the benefits from the THC, but you don't get the psycho action. There's a process called decarboxylation which literally removes a carbon group uh, from the THC molecule. And, and when you remove that carbon group, it becomes a psychoactive chemical. Without removing that carbon group, which happens at about 220 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, roughly the boiling point, if you don't remove that, if you don't heat it like that, or if you don't cure it for at least two weeks, which will ultimately do the same thing, then yeah, it is a completely non-psychoactive chemical. You'll have no idea it's in your system. And that's, I think, another thing. So, you know, the, the, the blood tests that we have and everything, these, you know, I've got so many people out there that reach the out. The blood tests will know it's in your system. Yeah. yeah. And then we need to, you know, we need to find a better way of doing that. Because even with, with uh, CBD, like the one that I take, Red Pill, um, doc, and I said, Dr. Smith has been doing this for a long time. So he's someone I truly trust. And he's doing it for the right reasons. He was a pain management doctor that decided to use CBD over opiates. And he's done documentaries on the opioid crisis. So he's just a good human. Um, but, uh, you know, I have people reach out that are on opiates and all these other things. And they're like, oh, I can't, I can't risk CBD because of the drug test. Yeah. And, you know, the thing with the zero THC CBD, if you get a reputable company, is as we talked about before we start recording, it's literally like testing for red blood cells. Like it's supposed to be it's in your body. To be there. <laughs> so the fact that we have people that are so terrified to use CBD, but opioids are yes accepted. No. So I have to go a little bit into that. One. No, please. So CBD is CBD stimulates the endogenous cannabinoids, cannabinoid system, but anandamide and 2AG are the is hard to it's like a, a cbd kind of creates a a a floodgate of these chemicals and it, but but cbd is endogenous to the hemp plant it is not endogenous to the human body whereas anandamide and uh arachnoglycerol are truly generated by our body and what cbd does is it creates the genesis it allows that to happen faster it provides the need while stimulating the same receptor sites and kind of competing with those same receptor sites. So CBD will give us the effect just like THC will. It will, it will stimulate those, um, those same receptor sites, but it is, a, it is not something that is found within us. So just the, the idea that it's 
if you were testing for anandamide, which is completely psychoactive, mind you, anandamide and THC mimic each other, not CBD. So if you're testing for the, the anandamide, that would be like testing for the blood cells, whereas testing for CBD would be like testing for orange juice. You know, it would be like testing for like a, a vitamin C. A you know, benign something that, yeah. a supplement. Yeah. Well, like vitamin C is something we don't produce ourselves, but it's supposed to be in our system. So it'd be like testing for that. Like CBD is supposed to be in our system, but we don't produce it ourselves. We produce a version of it ourselves. Right. Yeah. Because I know with the, with the drug testing world, though, they are not testing for CBD. And that's mm-hmm. what freaks people out. They are literally not looking for that compound in a drug test. They're looking yeah. And if you're THC. not looking for it, it's not going to show up. No, exactly. Yeah. So and there's no reason to look for it because it's nothing <laughs> negative. And they really do need to get over themselves. Uh, look, if you're a first responder, what alcohol does to your system, and I'm not anti-alcohol, have a, have a drink, man, whatever. But what chronic alcohol use does to your system versus chronic cannabinoid or cannabis or, I mean, it, it is an ongoing system in our body that does not get impacted negatively in any way, shape or form by overstimulation. Whereas we literally have something in our body called alcohol dehydrogenase, which is put in there just in case we get any alcohol in our system. So that it can get it out as quickly as possible. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. So alcohol's toxin to us, man. We don't want it. We want to break it down and get it out of there. We have this dehydrogenase. It takes it takes the molecule, breaks it down, breaks it down to oxygen and carbohydrates. That's why it's kind of fattening for us, because it's a lot of carbohydrates. That breakdown is to get it out of us quickly because it's it's just not that great for us. It is a, a legitimate um, toxin to human cells. It dries us out. It's not a, it's not a very good thing cannabis on the other end of the spectrum is a system that is not only housed and built for receiving these things for being stimulated on a daily basis but it is built in such a way that overstimulation of it is not harmful to us it doesn't create a toxic environment in any way shape or form in any way shape or form so that is, I, I just don't understand. I mean, maybe this is literally just me not understanding why the first responder community is not able to have that in their systems. And maybe there is a threshold where there's a blood volume of cannabis that, that could be considered way too high, of course. But the, the zero boundary is insane to me. That's just insane because it is truly the healthiest thing that the first responder community and the military community and the people that have gone through hell can put into their systems to try to heal. Yeah, and I agree completely. That's one of the things, you know, I I harp on a lot about, um, you know, the prohibition of drugs and just the the epic just ripple effect of pain and death that that's caused. And, you know, that's created a barrier to entry to a lot of therapeutics available to, as you said, first responders, military, civilians. Meanwhile, people are making hand over fist over these Band-Aid chemicals that at best may mask pain, at worst will actually kill these people. And and very often that worst side of them does come out. And it's not just killing it, but it's like you can kill a a family without actually killing anybody by creating a very different communication style among the members of the family when a couple of them are on these pills and the others haven't gone that route. And it's just an interest. The opiate community and the pain management community in general is, uh, it's a tough one, man. I, I've been in pain a lot in my life and it's very painful. And I understand the desire to get out of it as quickly as possible, but there is a certain self preservation 
that I feel really trumps pain and self-preservation is like, well, that might be real. I've heard about that stuff. I don't want to take that stuff. I've heard about that surgery. I don't want to get that surgery. I've heard about that shot. I don't want to get that shot. And that, that just is, it's, it's really interesting to me that that's just kind of lacking. It's just not the conversation in the medical community is somehow that the positive of a decent pain relief outweighs the extraordinary negatives that can come from the the chemicals giving that pain relief yeah well speaking of pain relief from you know another holistic lens i've sadly got two good friends now firefighters that i've just watched go from surgery to surgery to surgery after back injury and the first one i didn't i wasn't even aware of foundation back then second one um you know a good friend of mine I think he, he, he tried, I don't know at what level, at what depth, but he was allowed to be talked into fusion and it's just been a freaking, you know, just a nightmare ever since. Um, so we talked about homeostasis and the cannabinoid system. Talk to me about um, muscular balance and movement practices and the impact of that on the cannabinoid system in the human sure. body. So the cannabinoid system responds to stress. And stress can be mostly good. It can also be really bad. But it really responds to stress. It's like it, it, it kind of it gets you a little better at what you're doing. It gets you a little better at what you're doing, a little better at what you're doing, a little better. And if you do things often, it really does tend to get you a little bit better. Because if you didn't know it was called the cannabinoid system, you would just call it the homeostasis system. And what the homeostasis system does is it helps you adapt. It helps your, your body adapt to it increasing stresses it's the reason you get better at running when you run a lot it's the reason you get better at jiu-jitsu when you roll a lot it's the reason you get better at surfing when you surf a lot playing an instrument whatever that that system at play is the endogenous cannabinoid system and it's helping your hormones feed the muscles it's helping your nerves and the myelin that protects the nerves ingrain that neural pattern each of these things is is like a piece of health when your back goes out, it's because neural patterns are firing inaccurately and muscles are not protecting the spine in the way that they should as a result of the hip movement that should or should not be happening. Most spinal injuries that I've seen in my whole career are a breakdown of the hips or a breakdown of the feet. That communication is not strong and stable enough, not, not, not healthy enough. There's not enough range of motion. Very often the glute muscles have shortened to a point where they're pushing the knees outward away from each other and that, that movement pattern at the hips forces the spine to just do more, more, more. Well, that adaptation is going to be an adaptation. Your body's going to get better and better and better at doing that thanks to that same damn system. The one that helps you is the same one that hurts you, the homeostasis system, endogenous cannabinoid system. It is going to get you tighter and tighter and tighter in the glutes, and it's going to make your knees better and better and better at pushing out away from each other, and it's going to get your back better and better and better at moving with hypermobility until it starts to injure it. And then it's going to be really good at protecting your back, which is a limiting range of motion. It hurts like hell. And that same homeostasis system is now helping your body stay inflamed and stay injured. So a little bit earlier in the podcast, I said that mechanoreception beats nociception. Movement blocks pain. And it does. Healthy movement. When you steadily practice something like foundation training, something like Pilates, Egoscue, um, FRC, functional range conditioning, um, the gold clay method, uh, knees over toes guy. He's someone we talked about earlier. He's, he seems to be out there 
seems to be helping some people. I've gotten good responses from our instructors that are doing his work, certainly. Um, but each of these adaptations utilizes this homeostasis system, which has a very fancy name, the endogenous cannabinoid system, because life is confusing. But really, it's just the homeostasis system. Really, it's just your body's hormonal and neurological cyclical attempt at improving your existence on this planet. And it doesn't know the difference of adaptation being good or bad. It's just adapting. So you have to guide it with your delightful human analytical brain that has the ability to take in awareness and understanding and say, oh, I'm standing like this and it hurts, so I shouldn't stand this way. In fact, I should train my body to be able to be strong in this direction because every time I'm in this direction, it hurts. That same training, that process, just like CrossFit makes you strong as hell until it hurts you, you know, this same process is going to build you up until you're strong enough. And if you only do foundation training, you're going to have to then address a series of other issues because you're going to be dominant in the posterior chain. So life is a balancing act. Thankfully, we have a system that allows changes and manipulations hormonally to allow that balancing act to occur. And it is our responsibility to recognize that, that same adaptive capacity can go negative instead of positive. So we have to do our best to actively adapt ourselves in the direction that we want to go. And if I'm a person with failed surgeries, man, I'm learning this stuff from the ground up as fast as I possibly can and as slow as I can. I'm learning every single detail, but I'm going to take a year to get good at it because I want my homeostasis system to really, really take a hold. I want this adaptation to take a year because by the end of that year, I'm going to be legitimately strong. I'm going to have new movement patterns, new breath patterns, new posture pattern. My hips are no longer going to be pulled apart at the knees by those tightened glutes because I have taken the time to address the adductors and what we call the anchoring line from the middle of the arch up to the center of the pelvis. And that inward pressure is now accurately counterbalancing the outward pressure from the glutes. And that's the basis of foundation training is simple adaptation. What I have found now over a 13 year career is that adapt that adaptation doesn't just occur. There is this remarkable system at play that reverse engineers us down to the neurotransmitter level and helps all of our systems interplay together with healthier communication. And it does it by addressing the problem immediately. And I think that's something that we can really take into account in health in general and in communication in general is like, don't let things be pushed aside. If you don't want something to be stressful, address it immediately. If something is stressful, address it immediately. Get better and better and better at absorbing and tolerating that stress and you'll naturally be getting better. It's the same system for all this stuff. It's weird and it's an oversimplification, but it's the same system for all this stuff. Beautiful. Well, and again, like I said, you know, we met because... I did that. I was a diligent mm -hmm. practitioner after my back injury. You know, I was getting, as I wrote about, you know, the, a PA that was 300 plus pounds <laughs> telling me I should be taking this and that for my health. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I make sure I don't listen to you because <laughs> you can't even own your own health. And that sounds cruel, but it's a very legitimate perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I found, I've just, you know, really become more diligent again after the video I put out about a month ago. And uh, it's that routine too, you know? I mean, the, the five minutes of foundation training you do is much better than the 20 minutes that you don't do. And that's something that I learned, you know? Just, 
after you brush your teeth, just, you know, do a founder in the bathroom for two or three minutes and just keep building on that, building on that, you know, but health is a process of repetition, not intensity. That's it. Health is not an intensity. It's a, it's a frequent repetition, whether that health that you're looking for is the marker of strength or metabolic health or mental health or respiration rate. It's, it's, it's a frequent, frequent, frequent practice. And it is never purely an intense thing that is going to somehow make you into something else. It's, it's diligent, disciplined frequency. Well, people obviously need good resources. And you mentioned some of the other practices. Um, you've written books previously. The app now is amazing. I actually just got to use it on my wife's new smart TV. Oh, wow. So, I, you know. So you saw the big stuff. Yes. So, wow. you know, removing the barrier to entry, it was hard, you know, with the old DVDs having to load it up and everything. But now... You can literally access on the app on your TV. Yeah, we ha you can do it on like the Roku TVs and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, we're that app. I'm very thankful for that app. Beautiful. That so, app got us through the whole pandemic. Yeah, and it was incredible. I mean, you and I did some uh, Facebook lives That's during right. the pandemic too. Yeah. Um, so, talk to me about your new book, Foundations of Health. So this one, I've been writing this book for four years. Um, not anymore. It's coming out in January, but we finished it, and it's really good. Uh, it is, I, over the years, I've had so many people ask me how foundation works. And it took me 13 years to, to come close to understanding it. And I haven't figured it out. I want to be really clear on that. But I've got a pretty good understanding of what's going on. And it was really interesting because at the time I started writing the book, I was writing a book about cannabis and foundation training. And I started for my own well-being to use the sauna pretty much seven days a week in about 2016, 2017, right when my kid was born. Sonny's four, about four, you know, just like for my own mental health, my own stress relief, I just started really prioritizing saunas intensely. And it had a remarkable benefit. I feel well. It helped me get mold out of my body that living in Hawaii had given me some of and just helped me get this really deep, intensive sweat and I started just kind of like wondering what was going on a little bit. So I started doing a little bit of research and trying to find correlations of cannabis, breath work, posture, and heat. Um, and I was blown away at how many there are. So I started putting together this book that is about 10 different. It, it brings 10 of my patients into the book and we talk about our health. We talk about our injuries we talk about our daily routines. Um, the very few supplements in there that we do talk about are basically uh, healthy creatine if needed, uh, cannabis if needed, CBD if needed, L-theanine if needed. Uh, everything is in that way. It's if needed. What we go into is the physiology of the human body that is there for us with none of these supplements and how this physiology is primed for adaptation. And I go into these three methods of really getting your adaptation to be a little bit more under your actionable control, a little bit more. And those are the foundations of health. And that is a traditional hot sauna. Uh, I don't have anything against infrared, but my research and my personal use has only involved traditional dry saunas uh, over about 185, 190, and using very calm breathing methods in there, like butyco breathing and nasal breathing to really endure the heat for as long as possible. And just like when you're holding your breath underwater, not to challenge those systems in addition, you know, you're, you're focused on your goal at hand. Um, so I go very much into the long-term 
beneficial research of using Asana for pain relief, mental health relief, all of it. We then go into, we then go into, uh, you know, look, I go into cannabis, I go into my own use, I go into the history of it, I go into my own personal beliefs on it, and then I go into the scientific beliefs on it. Thankfully, there's many of them. And, uh, and I also go into some of the negatives of it. So I don't want you to think it's a one-sided thing. And then the last one is foundation training, posture, breath, and, and how we have this ability to stress our systems in such a healthy way that it can actually make us better. And the reason that it makes us better has everything to do with what you just read about in the cannabis section and the reason that all these stresses ultimately, ultimately can help us is that the body's adaptability is there. If you get really good at bringing certain stressors into your life, you react better to the major ones when they show up. The major ones being, yeah, health breakdown or relationship breakdown or job breakdown or whatever it might be. So uh, the foundations of health are there to utilize what we have built in with us in a very specific way. And it's pretty easy to follow. The people that have read it so far really appreciate the perspective. And we got a forward from Jeff Bridges, who's been a patient of mine for 12 years, and he discusses the uh, the mind body connection and what it's what it's helped him understand. And yeah, just, I'm really proud of this book. It took me a long time. It definitely is a vulnerable book for me because it goes into my own cannabis use for 15 years and how it helped me develop a process called foundation training and how that process has helped a lot of people. So brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm excited to read it myself. And I think that that's. That's one thing I've seen, whether it's you, whether it's Julian Pinot with StrongFit. Um, to me, the most successful kind of wellness people out there, are the ones that are teaching principles, not this is how you should exercise, this is how you should move, this is how you should stretch, but understanding the whys behind it and therefore everyone can forge their own path. You mentioned about, you know, use of cannabis. I've tried it multiple times. It just didn't seem to be the right fit for me personally, but I advocate for it all the time because I see it work for so many people. So, you know, each of us finding our own path. Okay, for me right now, meditation is just amazing. I'm loving it. Foundation training, I'm back in there. Jiu-Jitsu and CrossFit and some of these other things that I'm bringing back into mine may look completely different as a person who, you know, smokes and is a triathlete and, you know, or, you know, like someone who's sedentary and, and their first thing is, is just simply a kneeling founder or the sitting movements that we did today, you know, getting off the ground. Um, but yeah, so when people are understanding the why behind movement, behind cannabinoids and cannabis use and all these things from a person who had a horrendous back injury, you know, when you were young and used movement practices to, to get yourself out of pain, which then helped heal an English firefighter a few years <laughs> later, you know, I mean, that's what we need. So I, I'm very, very excited to, Thanks, to read man. the book. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to put it out. It comes out in January. Um, the big one right now is Jen's book. My wife put out this six-year endeavor. <laughs> She's been working on this forever, and she just published it yesterday uh, through HarperCollins. It's called Shaping Your Baby's Foundation. And for anybody that has, if you have kids, young kids, it's it basically focuses on the first 12 months of life and everything a parent can do to really help their body, to help their baby just succeed vastly in the physical and mental stretches. Um, it's a 500-page book. It is as step-by-step-by-step by step by step as it gets, and Jen is just a really brilliant uh, instructor and teacher in this. So anybody that wants, you know, I always say to myself, like, imagine if 
I know the things. Imagine if I knew the things I wished I knew, you know, and that's what this is. Imagine if somebody showed you the most important pieces of being physically well through life in that first year of life and guided you hands on and made sure that you developed those strengths. It can be very powerful and it can it can really if you talk about nipping a problem in the bud. Well, this is the bud and the problem we all know we, we don't move well. We're not terribly healthy people. And technology has us going further in that direction. So we need physical standards and fundamentals. And Jen did an incredible job with, with shaping your baby's foundation of providing the standards and fundamentals for parents. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things I see recently is very, very, very young children holding tablets and phones, watching cartoons. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, you know, what made Jen write the book? Give me a little overview of her background, you know, academically, so that people kind of have an understanding of who she is. Yeah. She's a, so Jen is a physical therapist with a specialty in pediatrics and then a further specialty in, in early childhood development and uh, early intervention. She worked clinically for over a decade. Uh, actually, she worked here for a bit at Brooks, uh, at Brooks Rehab and then another Brooks Rehab in, in Jacksonville. She went to, the UCF Central Florida uh, PT program after after college. But she always had doctors. They just there's no resources like this. There's no book that, that you can hand a new parent and say, follow months one through three. And then every two weeks or every month, check in with your pediatrician, make sure that the milestones are being met. But here's exactly what to do in the interim. Here's exactly what you do in months three to five. Here's what you do. The third, you know, here's month six. Day one, two, like it walks you through every piece. And she did it because she got really tired of walking parents through these repetitive things that they could so easily do themselves They're It's I mean, they're very simple. The stuff you do for a, a baby and a toddler is not hard stuff. It's just repetitive. And if you don't do it, it can then become hard in the future. But uh, what Jen saw clinically, she really, you know, like I saw a lot of people with back pain, wanted to give them a bit of more of what I was doing for my back. Well, what Jen did with our daughter is in this book, 100% of it. In fact, Sonny is a, uh, a model. There's four children that Jen followed for their first year of life and did a bunch of photos at different sequences of those years. And Sonny is one of those four children that we ended up following. So, you know, Jen is a mother. She's a pediatric physical therapist. She's an early intervention specialist. She's worked with tons of children with some real real problems and many children without major problems just helping them with things like torticollis and and just positional alignments and all that but uh what this does is this gives this gives parents kind of a pocket physical therapist a pocket pt that can help guide them through some issues and help them really address some things you know you're, you you want to know what an atnr reflex is you want to understand why a child seat can be bad or a child seat can be good you want to understand why why a bumper is a good thing or a bad thing or why swaddling is a good thing or a bad thing and how to do it better and these are not this is not the time to shoot from the hip the first year of your baby's life is not the time to shoot from the hip especially if it's your first kid uh so jen did jen put the resource out thankfully harper collins was really behind it and into it and they put together this beautiful beautiful 400 plus photos 500 page book 
Beautiful. Well, you sent me a copy, and thank you so much. I try to get my 14-year-old in those positions. What he wouldn't hell? have any of it. <laughs> he didn't do it, huh? <laughs> Missed the boat a little bit on that yeah, one. Yeah, he's, he's a little off, but that's all right. <laughs> Maybe for his kid. But I have to say, Ty has been doing chiropractic you know, on and off now since he was probably, God, I hurt myself five years ago now. No, more than that, I think. So, yeah, probably eight, nine. Wow. So, you know, quite young. Um, you know, we just got adjusted the other day. Um, you know, and I, I try and share as much of my wellness with, with him and with, uh, Ethan as well, because like you said, I mean, that's when they're, they're most pliable. Yeah. And Kids mimic parents. Yeah. The other thing that Jen does in that book is we go through what parents can do to keep themselves strong. So there's quite a lot of foundation training instruction in the book, how, even while you're holding your kid, even while you're breastfeeding. And there's a ton of foundation training and postural instruction for parents as you go through that as well. Beautiful. Well, one more area I want to touch on before we kind of wrap up. We, you mentioned supplementation, like whether you need it or not. Um, you know, I, every one of the sponsors on the show, I've hunted down like a rabid dog because I know that they're doing good things. And one of them is Thorn. You know, when people think of, you know, supplements, they think of the latest influencer with this shirt off holding, you know, whatever protein. Um, Tell me about your experience with Thorn. Right now, everybody can't see, but my shirt is off and I'm holding a bottle of <laughs> Thorn protein right now in my hands. I'm glistening in the sun <laughs> as well. Uh, no, it's uh, Thorn is a good product. Thorn, I have nothing to do with them, but I do use their creatine. I use creatine at about two and a half to four grams a day, uh, about four days a week. And I do it for two things, for mental well-being and for physical strength. Um, in fact, anybody who does foundation training a lot, do found, or yoga a lot, start using creatine. Watch how much deeper you can get into different positions. And I mean, strength is strength. It doesn't have to be explosive. So, uh, you know, it's just a basic micronized uh, creatine monohydrate. But what I, what I like about Thorne is they have a lot of independent testing. I think any supplement testing or any supplement company in the industry today needs to have a very good relationship with third-party testers that are completely independent and the user of that supplement can then go to that site and see the see the scan you know see the data um i don't know that thorn is necessarily doing anything better than anybody else they're just doing it well um there's a lot of supplement makers a couple of things that i saw from thorn i actually wasn't that into they have an electrolyte drink that just had way too many things in it just had way too many things in it i was like what are you guys doing there's 20 things in this it's not 20 electrolytes it's like five it's too many electrolytes but their company their their overall culture a couple of the people that i know that work within the company man they take it really seriously um, if you need supplements you know because when you take them you feel substantially better um, you don't always know you need supplements at the moment unless you get some blood tests done or maybe you do, you know, maybe you do a pee test or a saliva test or something and you realize certain things are lacking. But the best way to use a supplement is as a building block, not as the be all end all. Like it's just better to keep your body's natural mechanisms of genesis, meaning like the creation of hormones, the creation of inflammatory molecules, the creation or breakdowns of proteins. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to always take in enzymes to digest. You don't want to always take in um, fatty acids from omega fish oils. You want to be getting these things from life and using supplements, supplementary, you know, not 
not every day. It's literally right there in the name. You use them completely supplementary. There's a lot of people I know that are very, very dependent on whatever the supplements are they take, the protein powders, the meal replacements, the, the testosterones or growth hormones or whatever the spectrum that they get into. I'm just not into that stuff, man. I think that the body really gives us a lot of what we need. And if we use it well and we provide it with enough nutrients, enough sunlight, enough rest, uh, uh, all that, then we usually just need a little bit extra, if anything. You know, and I like creatine because it's it, all it does is pulls glycogen. You know, it's, it, it, it just gives your body a little bit more contractibility because it gives a little bit more nutrition to the muscle cells. Um, I also like it because your body... I'm sorry, not your body, your brain really works on glycogen and glucose and burns sugar as fuel. And yeah, you can get there ketogenically, but ultimately everything at the end of that Krebs cycle is glucose uh, or sugar or, and that sugar and carbohydrate then becomes ATP, which fuels us. So no matter how you get there, having a little bit of extra glycogen in your body is going to make you feel stronger, whether it's in the brain for mental health and mental well-being or if it's in the muscles for physical strength. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a very important perspective. I was talking to one of the guys from from Thorn the other day, and I said, for example, the fire service, like what we're doing now, what we did today, down at the beach with you know just in board shorts, you know, doing foundation training, getting sun, jumping in the ocean, the best thing to get vitamin D. Yeah. But you take a firefighter who's in uniform, who's running calls, who's in fire stations where they've got all the blooming windows blacked out, and then they do go on a fire and they're in bunker gear. We don't get a lot of sun. None. So those are, for example, options to have, you know, some some nootropics, as you said, some vitamin D supplements. But if you can then find a way to get the most sunlight, especially if you're blessed to live somewhere like Florida, again, I you know, that's it. Your goal is to not take supplements at the end of the day. Same with C B D. I love C B D, but to me it's a cribbing, to use the fire department term, to get you to the point where you don't need C B D anymore. Supplements should be supplementary. That's the best way to put it. And everybody's experience is going to be a little bit different. Um, I think that Wim Hof says it well, get high on your own supply. There you go. Absolutely. You know, the reason that I'm a big fan of, of cannabis is, is it's available and it's easy and it's more or less side effect free. Um, but it's stimulating something within us. So just keep that in mind. You know, that is inside of you. It's, it's inside every, every animal with a, with a vertebral column in the world. It's, it's inside every mammal is this endogenous cannabinoid system. So you can supplement it with things like cannabis or CBD, but it's within you. It's there. It should only need to be fed. Beautiful. Well, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the workout today. Thank you for this this amazing location for the interview. And thank you for all the work that, as people know, certainly saved my career, if not my life. It's a huge pleasure, man. I love sharing this stuff. And you're an easy guy to talk to. And it's been very fun over the years to not only share foundation training with you, but to get to know you through mutual friends as firefighters. And then also just just watching your career blossom into this 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 thing that's influencing your community in a nice and healthy way now. It's really beautiful.